You're listening to Sobriety with Ari Eastman. Hey, that's me. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to an episode of Sobriety. Um, it, I don't know, it, I feel like it's going to sound a little echoey. Um, I am recording right now while I'm house-sitting in um, a big, beautiful house. And you know what's amazing about my little popcorn ceiling department? I feel like it's good for recording because they say small spaces are good for recording. It has been an absolute whirlwind of a weekend because I actually flew home uh, up to Northern California for... Like, literally, how long was I there? I flew in at 6 in the morning. Um, My stepdad picked me up around, like, 7.30. Then we went from the airport straight to a car dealership, and uh, I am the proud owner of a new 2022 Corolla. Um, It's been six months of trying to buy a car. Well, I shouldn't say it's been six months of trying to buy a car. It's been, you know, like a couple months every now and then. And then I get frustrated and I say, I don't care. Who needs a car? I've got legs. I've got feet. My feet can take me wherever I need to go. Uh, but it does feel good to have that done because, yeah, I don't know. It was just adding some stress and uh, it's just, it's, it's, boring I mean some of these adulthood things are boring and I was kind of being resistant to buying a car because the process of it was really frustrating because it's a terrible time to buy a car Um, prices are horrible there's no inventory and then also just like certain adult things like that it's boring and I'm like the idea of coughing up a big sum of money for a car to me was not exciting to me it just felt like this is obligation this is a boring part of adulthood it's not like you know I'm going on a vacation I don't even want to go on vacation I don't like to travel it's not like I'm purchasing the next 20 expansion packs of the sims you know and um but I'm actually really really happy and really excited about my car and feeling really good but so we literally go straight to the dealership I purchased my car, but you know, it's not just an in or out situation. They keep you there. It takes a long time. So I was probably at the dealership, despite having already picked the car, kind of had it set aside. I was there for probably three hours. Then we went home. I went home, surprised my mom. She didn't know that I was there. That was great. And then hung out for a couple hours and then hopped in my car, hopped in my car and I drove right back to Los Angeles because I had... Uh, an obligation that night that I needed to be back in LA so I just flew in drove back out and I've probably mentioned this before but I'm a nervous flyer I'm an anxious flyer it's something that I always say I am a fearful flyer that doesn't mean I don't do it it doesn't stop me from doing it but I do not enjoy it um turbulence has in the past made me cry and It's just not an enjoyable experience for me, which is part of the reason I feel like I'm less drawn to the idea of travel because uh, I have such a difficult time on airplanes. And I don't think you could necessarily like tell. I kind of keep it. I keep it together, you know, but um, 
I haven't, I hadn't flown since COVID. So even though it's a short flight, it's like an hour, you, you get up in the air and then they're like, all right, please take your seats for fourth descent. And you've been up in the air for about five minutes. But uh, yeah, this was my first post COVID. I mean, I know COVID's still happening and I was so nervous about it, but I think it was helpful that I was exhausted because I've noticed when I'm more exhausted, I just don't have the energy to be as anxious because my body can't do multiple things at once. And this is something that I think is a good thing to practice when you have anxiety. However, it is very difficult to do. So I know easier said than done. But I've done this before on flights and I did it this time because the captain came on and he did his thing where he's like, well, folks, we're going to be, you know, flying into Oakland. And, uh, you know, as you're going to see, this seatbelt sign is on because we're, you know, anticipating some bumps along the way. And whenever they say that, I'm glad they say that because if there were just bumps and I wasn't expecting it, maybe that would be worse. But I always just like have my fingers crossed and I'm like, what are they going to say? And when they say like, it's going to be smooth, clear skies and you, I want to kiss them on the mouth. And I don't even like men in uniform or women. I'm sorry. That was sexist of me. Women can be pilots. Um, and so he came on and he did his whole, you know, there's going to be some bumps. And I thought, great, great. So what I have started to do is I try to make my body kind of go into like ragdoll mode when turbulence happens or when I get really anxious on a flight. I have found this to be so helpful. It really helped me get through the flight, which was a bit bumpy. And because I think our, our inclination when we feel stressed out or anxious or nervous is to tighten up and to clench, right? We, you know, we, we clench our fingers. We, we, you know, we, we just tighten. And I, when I feel myself doing that and when I feel the anxiety and the fear of just being on the plane, I basically tell myself, do the most extreme opposite. I try to let all the tension go from my body and like, I, I almost try to like, I visualize that I'm jello and I just have like no bones. <laughs> That's what helps me get through the flight is I say, time to go into no bones zone and I get really like limp and loose and I don't grab onto anything and I just let like kind of all my limbs just like hang out and it helps. And I think because you are sort of sending a signal to your brain to relax. So it's like this forced relaxation of my body physically that ends up carrying over into my brain. And so I don't, it doesn't, it's not a perfect cure. It's not like it, it's not like it just immediately goes away, but it is helpful. And I have found that to be a very helpful tip. So if you are an anxious or nervous flyer and you feel yourself tensing up when you do that, try to like let your body go and like, you know, don't have your hands like clasped together. I, I just get like really loose in my body. I get loosey goosey, baby. Another thing that was kind of nice about this trip, looking back at it, it's because it was so short and I didn't have a lot of time to like overthink it because basically uh, on Friday, my stepdad went to this dealership that I had found where they were not doing crazy markups. And then he called me. He's like, there's a car here that, you know, is on the lot. And, you know, they won't hold it for you. But if it hasn't sold by tonight, you could come and so I basically we basically had to wait until 7 p.m. Friday night to find out if the car had sold or not 
and I purchased like a refundable ticket. And then at 7 p.m., my stepdad calls me and goes, they said it's still there. Like, you know, I'll pick you up tomorrow at 730 and then we'll go straight there when they open. So that's how kind of quick and just chaotic it was, which was good because it didn't give me time to think or freak out or worry about the flight. And it's not like I'm a big traveler or even pre-COVID. It's not like I would fly all the time or anything, but airports before I got sober were definitely uh, a place where I had definite alcohol associations. And guess what? I think that most people do. I think that a lot of people who, even people who are maybe not like big drinkers, it's like, you go to the airport and like the the five o'clock somewhere rules don't seem to apply at the airport. And I get it because airports are this weird little, they seem to exist in their own little universe where like time is, time functions differently. And there is something very vulnerable about the idea of us being on planes. It's crazy that we are flying in the sky at what 30,000 feet it's crazy so even people who are confident flyers just that idea of that vulnerability of us human beings who do not fly being in the sky is insane so yeah of course people are gonna like (laughs) have a drink at the bar before they get on a flying piece of metal hurtling through time and space and if you're anxious at all we already know that marketing has done a very very good job of leaning into this narrative that if you want to relax if you want to you know kick back you want to like undo your tie un what are some you know unbutton your shirt undo your belt I don't I don't know is that what you know take off your pants I don't know this is getting this is getting into like you know contact HR territory but yeah like have a drink right have a drink after work and so many of us especially those of us who start tiptoeing or teetering into problematic drinking and gray area drinking and all of these things it gets so reinforced in our minds that that's what you do that's what you do to relax. Even though I know this, and if you've been listening to the podcast, you've heard me talk about um, when you really look at what those the chemicals in alcohol do to our brains, uh, it may give you that temporary 20-minute endorphin rush, kind of dopamine release, but it's actually not relaxing you. It's actually doing a lot of opposite things. Um And so anyway, the airport obviously used to be a place where I would drink. I would drink on planes. I remember one flight I had where I got like bumped to first class and I obviously was still drinking at the time. And I didn't realize that if you're in first class, they just like keep giving you alcohol. Like they just don't let you. I was having like a Chardonnay and they just like you don't see the bottom of your glass. So by the time I got off that flight I was very drunk and I was like this flight's amazing and if you even go around uh the airport you'll see like a bunch of like signage and stuff about drinking and alcohol and um it's very pervasive and 
what was really nice about this flight because I've been at the airport before where I've been very cognizant of that. I've been very aware of it. I've thought about it. I've thought about like, I this would have been a time I would have gone to the wine bar. I would have done this. And this time, I didn't even think about it. All this thinking and talking that I'm doing right now, this was an afterthought. This was me thinking back. It didn't even cross my mind that that would be something that I would do. I didn't think about it. I didn't, you know, think about having done it in the past. I didn't miss it. I didn't feel an urge. I didn't feel nothing. It's like it didn't exist. And that's something that I think is really cool about, I guess, recovery and neuroplasticity, really, because it's this idea that, you know, your brain is able to modify and change and adapt um, in structure and in function throughout life and, you know, in response to the things we go through in life and our experiences. And um, yeah, I think sometimes we get stuck. This goes beyond sobriety. We get stuck thinking we're always going to feel a certain way or think about something. Um, I mean, this could be as simple as like, I'm always going to miss that ex. Oh, like I'm all, I'm all, I'm, I'm never going to get past that person or all these things that we tell ourselves that we'll never be able to do or that we're always going to feel. And not to say, I mean, maybe you do, maybe you do miss that ex for the rest of your life. I don't know, but it is very cool how, with time and experiences and life and just change, our brains change. And that didn't even enter my mind. The idea of drinking at the airport at all. It's like, it's like the thought had never occurred to me and like it had never existed, despite the fact that there were so many times when I would just get drunk or tipsy at the airport and almost it was like a necessity. Like if I'm going to get on this plane, I need at least two glasses of wine. And this time, not at all. Not at all. I am very, um, I'm definitely very like openly critical about the toxicity in like overly positive thinking kind of like performative positivity and um, it's something that really rubs me the wrong way when it's just like extended to everyone of just like smile because it happened or like you know find the silver lining or everything happens for a reason and um, I'm you know I don't like those as blanket statements because it just feels kind of icky to me and I and it just doesn't work for me it may work for other people but it just doesn't personally work for me because I don't know, like sometimes I'm like, maybe I just want to be a negative Nancy for a minute. But it is, it is pretty amazing, our brains and the way that they can change and adapt in bad ways and in good ways. But I don't know, we don't always like take the time to really give our brains credit for how they can adapt and evolve. And um yeah, so uh, long story short, I got on a plane and I got a car. <laughs> That's about it. That sums it up. I will say I have lately been having a weird fantasy about like going to um, 
which I have these every now and then, but this fantasy about going to the hotel, what is it called? The Hotel Marmont? Is that what it's? Wait, Chateau. Chateau Marmont, which is this like, you know, like bar lounge where like, you know, I feel like Lana Del Rey sings about it all the time. It's that kind of vibe, you know, where like celebrities or whatever. Who knows? Maybe celebrities don't even actually go there. Um, But for some reason, I've been having these fantasies of like, you know, I don't know, going to like a hotel bar. Um, not to drink, but just to like sit there and like order my mocktail and talk to people. But I also think there is something to having fantasies and knowing that they're just fantasies and just having fun with them. The reality is I'm not going to go to a fancy hotel bar and sit there and order a mocktail and just, you know, chat it up with people. That's a nice, fun little fantasy that I have. And that is a reality that I would do, uh, maybe not a fancy hotel, but I would go places and then have this fantasy of what it would be. Oh, I'm just going to be a mysterious stranger and I'm just going to start like chatting with people. I'm just going to meet people and it's going to be so fun. Even though I'm an introvert and, you know, socializing is something that can be, um, I would say whenever I tell people I have social anxiety, I mask it very well because I am, I think, a performer at heart. Um, I am very good at reading. um, I'm good at reading people and I'm good with social interaction. And um, that's not where the anxiety comes in. Anxiety is not about like, you know, interpreting how people, you know, feel or whatever. That stuff I'm very comfortable with. I I feel like I have good interpersonal skills. The anxiety more is just like, I think what it really comes down to is that I just don't want to be there. And when I don't have that anxiety, it's when I'm having a great time with people like my closest friends and all that stuff. So, you know, going to a party or whatever, it's because I think, at least in the beginning, I don't want to be there. (laughs) That's why I'm anxious. But so when that anxiety would kick in, when I would go to like a wine bar when I was living at home... And then I would just start quickly drinking, you know, with my little poetry book at the bar. And, you know, listen, I did have experiences with people. I did meet people, you know. But I would say 75% of the time I would regret it. (laughs) So uh, it's like I can have that fantasy of going to the hotel and sitting at the bar and chatting it up with strangers and having a great time and it's okay for it to remain a fantasy and have it be a fun fantasy that I have because the reality is I don't actually want it I am enjoying the made-up fantasy so I also think when some of these things come in that maybe can even feel like I don't know impulses or triggers it's like it's just a thought you're having And as long as that thought doesn't become destructive or lead you into do something, I just like to have my little fantasy. And even in my fantasy, right? I'm not drinking in my fantasy. In my fantasy, I'm ordering a mocktail. In my fantasy, I'm ordering a green tea. And, you know, some handsome stranger comes up and he's like, wow, like, what what can I get you to drink? And I go, another jasmine green tea, baby. And it's okay to just have that fun fantasy for yourself. Anyway, that's all I got for you. And you know what time it is? It's time for something very short. This one is going to be like, it was so short. It's something that made me happy this week. 
It's my car. <laughs> it's my car. My car is pretty sick. It's like a 2022 Toyota Corolla. I mean, listen, baby. I don't need a I don't need a G-Wagon. I don't even know what a G-Wagon is. You know, people always say G-Wagon, and I'm assuming they're talking about a car, but I actually don't know that for a fact. It could be a, it could be a literal wagon, you know, like the little red wagon. It could be. I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, I really like my car. Um, and my car is named Spike. Yes, Spike from Buffy. It's giving me Spike vibes, you know, like a um, on the outside, uh, a bad boy on the inside, the heart of a poet. <laughs> um, and yeah, that's it. I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited about it. And um, the best part is that if you follow me on social media, you no longer have to hear me complaining about not having a car. Now you're going to just hear me complaining about something else. Um, oh, and another <laughs> very small pink cloud is that um, when I was home, my mom gave me some stuff. One of them was my first grade yearbook. And I was flipping through it. And I was shocked to see that in my first grade class was none other than Bachelor Nation's Kayla Quinn. And I am someone who normally has very good memory with people. I can I'm very, very good at uh, recognizing faces. And um, I said, wait. And I showed my mom, I said, this girl, I think this, wait. And I did, I was like, this girl's on The Bachelor. Like, this girl's on a lot with The Bachelor. And my mom goes, yeah, you and that girl were friends. Like, you guys had playdates. And she came over to our house and looked around and said, Ari, I didn't know that you were poor. And I said, what? What? So apparently, Kayla Quinn and I were friends in first grade. And she uh, came to my house and insulted us. <laughs> So that's a fun little tidbit that uh, I repressed. And uh, guess what? I don't remember a thing from first grade. And maybe it's because of her. Maybe uh, I just blocked out the whole year. I just said, wow, Kayla, thanks a lot. Um, put this in the part of my brain that's going to later black out everything. Thank you. Uh, but yeah, I thought that was hilarious and a bizarre discovery. So that's about it. Thanks, Kayla. Well, with that, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Sobriety. And uh, I love you. I'll see you next week. Bye.